You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, JT English. I'm here. I'm right. You almost forgot my name. <laughs> I was going to say Jen Wilkin, and then JT English. I was gonna need to, do I need to introduce you to the rest of the team, or are you good? No, I'm good. So All this right. is Jen Wilkin. <laughs> that was JT English. I'm here. Close friend whose name I almost forgot. Uh, on today's episode, we're looking at Acts 6 through 8, where we will discover a martyr, a magician, and a missionary. Hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, so uh, here we are, um, and I've uh, I've been thinking about something recently. Um, if you had to start another podcast, it could be about- I already, already know the answer. Yeah, you haven't even heard the question. If I start a podcast, what would it be? Uh, okay, great. Is that yeah. what the question was? It was. Thanks. Wow. For, Sorry. Gosh, well, really you ruined it. <laughs> My podcast would be guessing people's questions. That no, for real. <laughs> okay. How to annoy your? You'd friends. be good. It would be a West Wing, not like. Because there's a West, there's a good West Wing podcast uh-huh. that is done by f- characters on West Wing. Yep. This would be done by fans and viewers. Okay. Just talking about like what they most like. Mm-hmm. And, okay. I could see that. That'd be a good podcast. I think so. Mine's also a TV show. What? Like I have one that's a TV show podcast too, but it's not West Wing. Can I guess? What? Stranger Things. No. Although that would be really fun. I have this idea called 24 and 24 where me and my friend, uh, we watch all 24 episodes of a season of 24 in 24 hours oh, man. and record live commentary while we're watching them. So it's essentially like a riff track, so like a viewing audio for episodes of 24. Jack Bauer is still awake. Because you think by the, t- by the time that you get to the end, it's going to be sheer delirium. Just craziness. Yeah, you should- the show is too. Right, exactly. So like around, around probably episode 13 or 14, things are going to start slipping in a big way. And I'm just, I want to know what's going to come out at that point. So 24 and 24. Actually, hey, copyright, trademark. Nobody steal that idea if you're thinking about it. Mine, mine's West Jim. Wing Watchers. Copyright, <laughs> trademark. Nobody, nobody take okay, that. Okay, West Wing Watchers. Okay, West Wing Watchers 24 and 24. Well, if you had to start another podcast, what would it be? I, I never wanted to start one in the first place. I know you're, you the, you're my idea man, so I'd need you to come up with a theme for me. I don't, yeah, I don't even, you guys listen to a ton of podcasts. I'm not a big consumer of them. Not, I'm not like talking down on them. It's just not something that I've picked up a habit of doing. Yeah. Uh, I do have one podcast recommendation for For you. me? Yeah. Knowing Faith. It's pretty good. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you were going to make me do another one, what would you want me to do, talk about? Oh, I just un- unfiltered <laughs> with Jen Wilkins. It would just be. Yep. It could be you talking about culture and me just taking shots at you. Well, there's that's yeah. Like that back is, when, remember when I used to edit the blog and, and you would write those blogs and I, I'd be like. I do remember. I don't, if I had a nickel for every time Jen Wilkins said literally in the, like a most direct way she could, uh, that wasn't just brutalizing. <laughs> nobody cares about this guy. <laughs> Uh, I'd, I'd spend I'd spend a lot of time writing a 600 word article, and she'd be like, "I've never heard of this band. No one else has heard of this band. Nobody cares." So, and it's pretty much continued to be just like that. So it would be a short podcast. It would be. It'd be essentially me be t- talking about how awesome or important something is, and you saying 
Nobody That's the cares. dumbest thing I've ever mm-hmm. heard. Yeah. Yep. But we do that on this podcast, so we I do. really don't need an Yeah, for you're right. Mm-hmm. You, we, we get plenty of opportunities for you to take shots at us on Are we this doing it right one. now? Kind of, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, today we're back into Acts, and uh, we're not starting another podcast, at least not yet. West Wing Watchers, forthcoming, 24 and 24. That would be so fun. It, it could be. It really could be. Um, although, that show could cross-pollinate. JT, in heaven, the Lord is going to have a tally of how many converts you made to Christianity and how many you made to the West Wing. <laughs> it's going to be close. <laughs> wow, that would be alarming. One is good, one is great, but both are virtuous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So we're going to jump back into the book of Acts today. We're talking about a martyr, a magician, and a missionary, you knew I was going to go no, with that alliteration. You're I just so Baptist. It was just going to happen. Yeah. I mean, when you look at Acts six through eight, I just saw it. My my heart leapt, mm-hmm. um, and uh, here we are. We're talking about it. So, what's been going on so far in the story? When when we get to Acts six, what has transpired already? Just to kind of catch up, listeners. So uh, uh, there's been a pattern that's been established in the text all the way back from chapter one that Luke is using, and he starts by looking at what's happening within the church. So he starts mm-hmm. just with the 12, right? And and you get the, you know, they, re, they replace Judas. And so they're kind of doing, you could call it like they're just, they're doing household business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what will happen in the next section will be that he'll expand his view out to show how the church is relating to the world around them. And then he contracts it again and he mm-hmm. expands it again. And so we've been feeling that a little as we've been going through the text where it'll say, and they had all things in common. You know, you get these these sort of idyllic statements yeah. about what what's going on in the, in the nuclear church. But as the pattern continues, needs to progress through uh, these chapters, we see increasing uh, violence and um, pushback as the church interacts with the culture. And we also see increasing um, complications with running and building the church. Mm -hmm. As they grow in number, they have administrative problems. They have um, personality problems. So like most recently, what they had to deal with was the issue, well, God really dealt with it, the issue Mm -hmm. of Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in the last episode, we talked a little bit about that story, but right. I think you're right. That idea of uh, not just from a matter of where the energy's at next, but there is, there's almost like this panning out and then focusing and in. in. Yeah. 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 Yes. And and so the the dynamic that you've seen with the Sanhedrin is they start with forceful words and yeah. then they move to jailing and beating and then you know, it progresses from there. It Mm -hmm. grows increasingly violent. But correspondingly, what you see is the church growing in boldness. And and so you see first the apostles are demonstrating boldness and then the church prays for boldness. That's actually what happens right before what we get into today. And the Lord grants it. He does. And um, he grants opportunity as well. And we're going to find out a little bit about that. So when we kick off into Acts 6, we begin with deacons with the raising up or the ordination or the installation or the deployment of deacons. So you have Acts 6 where where it really kind of talks, I mean, just kind of talks about broadly in these days, the disciples were increasing in number and then there was a complaint and the complaint is essentially about neglect Mm -hmm. in the distribution of the resources, Mm -hmm. right? And so there are widows who are being neglected in the daily distribution and the disciples summoned the full number, uh, excuse me, the 12, the apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, let's pick out from among you uh, men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom who we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and then a list of 
uh, other deacons as well. They set before the uh, they then they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then it goes back to mm-hmm. kind of that almost pan out. Okay, mm-hmm. now the word of God is continuing to go forth. Yeah. The disciples are increasing in number. And so let's just pause for a second. I um I feel like there's oftentimes a lot of misunderstanding around deacons, mm-hmm. just like what they are and why they're raised up. We just installed deacons at Mosaic in August. Yeah, depending on the church you're at, deacons can right. play a number of different roles. Yeah, if you grew up in a church, like uh, there are a lot of churches, particularly in like the free church tradition, like would be like Baptist churches would be a great example of this, where deacons essentially function in many churches as a governing body, mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of running the affairs of the church. Right. Sometimes they are the highest level of governance in the life of a church. But is that really what, is that what we see here in Acts 6? I mean, what are deacons and what is their role? What are they doing? Yeah. Yeah. So some, some will debate just so we're clear, because I imagine some have some, uh, maybe background in setting this text that this is not actually the establishment of the office of mm-hmm. deacon. Uh, I think that it is, or yeah. at least it's kind of a proto office. So, so in our understanding of ecclesiology, and I think the New Testament's pictures, there's two offices. There's the office of elder, which, uh, other words used as like overseer or mm-hmm. bishop, presbyteros is the Greek mm-hmm. term. It basically means pastor, yep. like somebody that's shepherding the church. And this this office, which I think is being installed here, deacon, really just comes from the Greek word servant. Mm-hmm. These are the people who are meant to serve the church so that the elders are able to give themselves, that this text shows us, to prayer in the ministry of the word. Yep. And so the elders are realizing we're spread too thin. We're trying to do everything Uh, And we're neglecting not only prayer and ministry of the word, but hospitality. We're not Mm -hmm. caring for the people among us. Mm -hmm. We're not doing anything well. Therefore, we should limit the scope of our office to prayer and ministry of the word and raise up another office who can serve our community. And that's really the office of deacon. Yeah. Yeah, because in Acts 6, there's a few different things that are happening. There is like an operational component. Right. Like, I mean, part of the raising up of the deacons, uh, uh, if... uh, whether in proto form here or if this mm-hmm. is the first crop of deacons. But in order of raising up this group of people, there was an operational need that was being met. But uh, so when we talk about deacons at Mosaic, we typically talk about deacons do three things. One, they help out operationally in the life mm-hmm. of the church. Two, they help provide care and advocacy the, for the vulnerable in the church. And they provide care and advocacy for the vulnerable in the community. That's good. Um, that that's kind of the threefold role. And that no deacon necessarily has to do all three of those things, mm-hmm. but that each deacon should be capable of doing all of those things. So in those and three categories, the, the, what would be missing here is people inside the church mm-hmm. are not are, are not being cared for. Exactly. There's, a, there's a vulnerable widows who... Mm-hmm. And, eating. Right. and there's an operational component. There's a distribution that needs right. to be maintained. And the, the the apostles are like, this is beyond us. Well, I think there's a parallel here that isn't often pointed out, but it's significant. And it when you hit that word, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word. Everybody's ears should perk up mm-hmm. because the book of Acts is a creation narrative. Yes. It's a birth narrative. Yep. So you think like, oh, it is not right. Where have I heard something like this before? Someone who needed help mm-hmm. to accomplish what it was that they needed to get done. Oh, that's right. When the man is created and told that he's going to have dominion and rule and subdue, what yeah. does God say? It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Yeah, right? I've never noticed that before. Well, there's another one. Okay. Uh, the next creation narrative that you hit in the Old Testament is the book of Exodus, mm-hmm. right? The creation of the nation of Israel. Yeah. So the nation is brought through water and blood. They're birthed into the wilderness. And in Exodus chapter 18, what do we see? We see Moses trying to govern the nation by himself. Right. And in Exodus 18, Jethro comes to him. And do you know what he says to him? What you are doing is not 
good. Hmm. And then what does he say? You need help. And then he finds Azers for him. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, go and find men who are, um, fear God, who, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So this is a pattern that we've seen established in the Bible of bringing order out of chaos by distributing the workload. And I think it's important to look at those earlier examples because I think in our modern conception of the difference between deacon and elder, we make a value statement mm-hmm. about an elder versus a deacon. Which one do people tend to think is more important? Elders. Elders. And yet that's that's not what the text is saying. The text is saying this is a task that must be accomplished by many helpers. Mm-hmm. Right. And there may be differentiation in role, but there is not differentiation in the importance of what's being done. The contributions of all are essential and indispensable. That's yeah. good, Jen. Yeah. Uh, something I, I think I've heard this taught on before. Is there significance to either of you to the complaint coming from the Hellenists? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, you, you kind of like glazed through the list down mm-hmm. there, Kyle, um, but I'm going to read it just really fast yeah. because yeah. Um, so you can hear the names. So the Hellenists, first of all, just to back up, are the Greek-speaking Jews, right. and they're from all over the empire. And the Hebrews would be the Palestinian Jews who are speaking Aramaic. Mm-hmm. So there's a language divide between these two groups. There's a, there's cultural. a cultural geographic. Mm-hmm. So they're Jews, but they're not... They share you know, a belief it's, system, It's almost like almost the else. Presbyterians and the Baptists are all... <laughs> hanging out. Uh, And so like, they love each other. We're family, Mm -hmm. but what are you guys doing over there? That's different. Okay. So, and and apparently the Hellenists are saying that favor is being given to the the widows of the um, Hebrews. So the list of names is significant because they choose seven men. And so here are the names. It's Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, uh, who is a proselyte of Antioch. And so we read those and you're like, oh, I love those guys. I totally am naming my kid after one of them. But mm-hmm. what we're really thinking is I've only heard of the first two and mm-hmm. these other guys you never hear of again. Yep. And what we then should ask is then why even list their names? Mm-hmm. Because these are all Greek names. Mm-hmm. And so when they have an opportunity to bring balance to the equation, they don't say, let's make it four Hellenists and four Hebrews. Mm. They they front load it, yeah. Which I I think is really interesting. It's incredible, yeah. yeah, yeah. It really is. Just to d- like d- demonstrate that they had enough wisdom to realize that hey, well, we should probably have greater representation here than we do. Well, and that's vulnerability too. I mean, mm-hmm. if you you know if you if these people are perceived in some way of being a threat to like what real Judaism is or to, right. or what real or what the or what I should say what the church is going to right. look like uh-huh. as characterized by the the truer version of Judaism. Sure. Uh, then then this is a way of saying, no, 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 we actually think there is, as Paul will say, neither slave nor Greek, hmm. Jew nor free. You know, this is, I think this is a move in that direction. Yeah, that's really helpful. One of the themes you'll see in 6, 7, and 8, we'll get to this later, is when, and, and Jen, I, I want your thoughts here too, when when order is brought out of chaos, you see the work of God going forward. So yeah. one of the like repetitions, it's not always the exact same phrase, but it's something like the word of God continued to increase or the mm-hmm. word of God went forth. As you mm-hmm. see this dominion of God's word, his glory, his sovereignty, and his beauty going out through the church as they're doing things like this. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think this is a recipe. Like it's not. So if you do this, if you have elders and deacons, and if you're preaching the word of God, and if you perfectly set up the administration of the church, then, then the word of God's going to increase among you. We're not promised that. This mm-hmm. isn't a promise. It's a wisdom, it's a right. wisdom issue. Yeah. It's a picture. that the, This is the way you should be setting yourself up broadly, whether you're actually working in a church or whether you're just working in a nonprofit or even you know, governing and working in a home as a parent, as a mom or a dad. 
is as you set yourself up and you give honor to prayer, to the word of God, to the administration of mm-hmm. order in the, in the community, then God blesses those kinds of things. Yep. We need to retitle this session. What, for what? It should be a ministry grid, a multiplication, a martyr, a magician, and a missionary. Wow. There we go. Who's Baptist now? Who's Baptist now? Well, you just out Baptist me. You're General Baptist. If I'm Am I? Captain Baptist. Oh. <laughs> general. I thought you meant I was like generally Baptist. Well, I was like, no, I beg your pardon. No, you're you're gen- gen- oh, Generally Baptist. Wow. No. It, was layered. it was layered. We didn't know all the layers there. Uh, um, so we move. Uh, so we got to this beautiful... Um, Installation of uh, of deacons or group of deacons, and then you have the Stephen uh, is kind of the he's the principal figure of the next yeah. chapter and a half. So you find out at the end of chapter six that Stephen is out; he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. Uh, and then some of those who belong to the synagogue essentially rise up. They couldn't withstand. They couldn't hold their ground with Stephen uh, and the spirit that was speaking from him, and so they take him. They yeah. seize Stephen. And he comes before the high priest, and he's being questioned. And the high priest says, are these things so? And Stephen said... Well, first of all, what would you say? What would I say about in, what? In a speech? Yeah. No, like, say the high priest, you're standing there, you, someone has, you're being accused of blasphemy, and mm-hmm. you yourself are being blasphemed. Like, mm-hmm. he, they're saying he's brought false witness right. against God. They are bringing false witness against him. Mm-hmm. How would you answer that charge? Ooh, would, it, uh, would it take you three pages like it takes him? <laughs> Uh, I mean, as long-winded as JT is, it might take six. I've got something to say to you. No doubt about that. JT's like, wait, you got a mic? Um, I think, you know what? I'd like to say when I read something like this, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd be ready to drop it on Mm -hmm. him. Um, But I probably would be scared out of my mind. I think I'd be terrified. Yeah. And I think I'd probably be like, oh, I think you've misheard a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some misrepresentation. I'm being misrepresented. Right. Well, I would try to defend myself. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that surprises me about about this text is Stephen was just it, the text doesn't say that he wasn't giving himself to prayer and ministry of the word, but it does say it was giving himself to administration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like this guy wasn't picked to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. He was picked to be a deacon. Mm-hmm. And then he gives one of the most beautiful mm-hmm. biblical theology, systematic theology, yeah. woven together speeches. So like yeah. you have this guy who has a gift yeah. to teach, to, to, to preach, and to give testimony and witness to the word of God and what God is doing in the world in Christ. But yet he was distributing meals to people. Well, one of the things I love is yeah. how by the time he gives his speech, we've had um, three times in the text he has been referred to as, I'm, I'll just read them, full of the Spirit, yeah. full of faith and yeah. the Holy Spirit, full of grace and power. Yeah. And then he'll be described as being full of wisdom and and the Spirit. And so this this idea that he is, and I think here's, here's what came clear to me as I was trying to put together the teaching for the Bible study. Um, we typically only hear the scene where he is being stoned. Mm-hmm. And it says there that he's full of the Spirit. Uh, and what I've always taken from that is, oh, in that moment, the Spirit gave him a special filling mm. to deal with what he had to face. But when you read it in context, you realize, no, he's actually, he's less like Samson, whom the Spirit rushes on, and mm-hmm. more like Enoch, who walks with the Lord. That's mm-hmm. good, Jen. He lives 
filled with the Spirit. So, and when we talk about in the in the Bible study, we have them mark like what what function is the Spirit performing here? And we have a little acronym because, of course, who doesn't love an acronym? And it's asking: Is it you know is it um, empowerment that that is happening here, or is it something else? Is it inspiration? Is it regeneration? And or is it sanctification? And I think in Stephen's case, what we're seeing is sanctification. Yep. Uh, and he is someone who who lives full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And when we think of a person who lives filled with the Spirit, mm-hmm. what image do you get in your head? Jesus. Oh, I was going to say tambourines. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I'm not, and like, this is not me dogging on people who, who yeah. worship through tambourines or anything, but I'm saying that our modern conception of a Spirit-filled person, this is getting back to what you were saying, JT, <laughs> yeah. is, is someone who, um, who expresses their belief in um, vibrant sort of charismatic ways. Yes, yes. And the way that we see Stephen filled with the spirit and wisdom expressing this is through a deep and rich articulate uh, explanation of the story of the Bible. That's right. Yes, yeah. yeah. And uh, yes, um, I love this speech in Acts 7 because um, like when people are when people are like, well, why does the Old Testament matter? Yeah. I'm like, well, Stephen. Stephen seems to think it was. Stephen spends uh, almost his whole speech <laughs> talking about uh, Abraham and Moses. Solomon uh, gets a kind of a footnote right towards the end, but the bulk of this speech is Abraham and Moses, which I, I don't think and is Joseph, right? And which I don't think is coincidental because of their covenant, like their covenant headship, that he's employing. Like essentially, he's looking at these religious leaders that have brought him in and like you are the ones who have forsaken the whole history of redemption like you've missed it you know well, the story but you've misinterpreted it yes like well, you know this but you've you've got a different set of lenses on right there's a really important detail that we caught right before we hit chapter 7 verse 1 and it says in verse 15 the, the last verse in chapter 6 says gazing mm-hmm. at him all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel mm-hmm. which is a clear reference to Moses descending from Mount yeah. Sinai holding the law yeah. and so then what Stephen builds his argument around is you had those who spoke to you with the face of an angel deliver truth to you and you killed them yes and guess what Stephen speaks to them as one with the face of an angel and they will kill him. And what is just chilling to me and interesting is that, you know, just as we might ask the question, did Jesus know, was he deliberate in his march to the cross? I believe we see Stephen deliberate in his march to martyrdom. Mm -hmm. There's no question Mm -hmm. in his mind what the outcome will Mm -hmm. be of this because his whole sermon is saying, you know what you do to people who deliver the truth to you? You reject them and you despise them. Yep. Yep. That's the story of Joseph that he includes in there, rejection and despising. Mm -hmm. That's the story of Moses that he's rejected and despised by his own people. And so I think he knows exactly what he's walking into. Yeah. And And it's crazy because even the places where he, uh, even the places in his speech where he's referencing Abraham or Moses, uh, uh, I mean, those, it's clear that he has soaked himself in the Old Testament witness, but his command of the prophets as well, both explicitly and implicitly, quoting directly. And then paraphrasing. And then the last verses, you stiff necked people, you uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced Mm -hmm. beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Mm -hmm. whom you have now betrayed and murdered. That invoking that Acts 2 language, right? right? You have done this. If you had received the laws, delivered by angels and did not keep it, or you have received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. Right. So you're right. Even like, even his landing place is 
polemical in a very straightforward. He's not softening the blow at the end. Not at all. No, it's not an. There's not an invitation at the end of Stephen's speech. It is Mm-mm. very much it's condemnation, a, judgment. He, it's it's and, and feel yeah. it. He knows he's a dead man. Oh yeah, yeah. Like he knows he's a dead man. There's and no what does out. he do? Jesus takes his cross and and goes. Mm-hmm. And then what does he do? He says, "Take up your cross and follow me." Mm-hmm. And Stephen is ready to do it. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. Uh, something that maybe some of our listeners, I don't know how many of this would be true for, but one of the main questions that I get regularly, either via email or sometimes social media direct messages, but certainly in our teaching contexts, whether it's Bible studies or the training program, is a lack of familiarity with the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's the place where we go to feel confused mm-hmm. sometimes. And mm-hmm. I, I resonate with that because for a long time that was really confusing for me too. So there are lots of ways to come to an understanding of the story of the Old mm-hmm. Testament, but one way would be to take Stephen's speech here as kind of a template for the major turning mm-hmm. points of what God is doing in redemptive history yeah. through the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Because often we think of the stories of like Jonah or Daniel, and man, those are powerful, powerful stories mm-hmm. uh, in, in the Old Testament that, that should be remembered and celebrated. But those aren't really the turning points. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of providing context or fabric to the major turning points. Yeah. But here you have uh, Stephen basically walking through covenantal history yes. to show them the importance of what God has been accomplishing since Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, and then ultimately the prophets right. uh, up until Christ, that mm-hmm. Christ is the fulfillment of mm-hmm. those things. So just, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but just to help you, if you're kind of like, I don't understand why Stephen's speech is so important, mm-hmm. just to, to kind of walk through for 30 seconds. When, when Stephen is talking about Abraham, he's talking about a promise that God made to Abraham, Genesis 12 to 17, of restoring, basically Eden, restoring the kingdom to the world through Abraham's family. And then he moves, of course, he moves to Joseph, but then he moves to Moses. And Moses is this one who he gives another promise to another covenant Mm -hmm. in Exodus 19 to 24, that you're going to be a people who are set apart, a priesthood of believers, a dynasty of image bearers who are going to bring blessing to the nations, that all people will be blessed through Israel. And then he moves further and he goes to David. David is going to be the one who brings the kingdom or ultimately his son brings the kingdom. His, His throne is going to be eternal. He's going to reign forever and all people will be blessed through him then he talks about his son, Solomon. We realize, oh, Solomon was, was the king of Israel, but he's not the ultimate king. 
Ultimately, Jesus is the king. Mm -hmm. Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. And so he's taking all of these major, major, major themes of the Old Testament, Genesis 12 through 17, Exodus 19 through 24, 2 Samuel 7, and saying, these are the major turning points in your history, all of which have been fulfilled in Christ, Mm -hmm. and you've missed your own history. Mm -hmm. So this is, if you're a Christian, this is your history too. This isn't just uh, the history of the Hebrews. This is the history of God's people, and we're God's people. And so having a familiarity with those three or four major turning points will revolutionize your understanding of what God's doing in history and what he's doing in Christ. Yes, that's really good. Man, that's what you would have said, right? That was my speech. That was your speech. That was your speech. That was good. That's good. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so I don't want to blow past this. We have a lot of ground left to cover here. We have a lot of M's left. Yep. But so (laughs) they hear these things from Stephen. They're furious. Yeah. Um, and they see, but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed in heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Um, they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And now there's a few things that we should look at here that are coming up. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, mm-hmm. who we're going to come back to. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. <laughs> Following Jesus' knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep or he died. Mm-hmm. Um, and But those two last things that Stephen says sound also familiar, very right? familiar mm-hmm. to us, right? Mm-hmm. Because and they're not word for word, but they are paraphrastic. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is that word? Oh, my uh, If gosh. it's not, that, that let's could, make it one. That could be the title of Jen's podcast. Paraphrastic. Paraphrastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, her her would be chiastic or uh, <laughs> crushing chiasms. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, they cast him out of the city and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my yep. spirit. Do not hold this sin against them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Which just mm-hmm. is, again, echoing the words of Christ on the cross. And think about this, because what he's done all along is uh, demonstrate uh, that he knows what Jesus teaches about the Old Testament. Yeah. And so the presence of mind, and I would even say more accurately, the fullness of the spirit and all wisdom mm-hmm. that he in his dying moments has the presence of mind to to compassionately draw those watching mm-hmm. to exactly what what is happening. Yeah. Uh, he identifies with Christ, I believe, purposefully here. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, I mean, I think it would help our listeners to know what the word martyr means. Yeah. It means yeah. witness. Yeah. And so even in his last breaths, he is bearing witness yes. to who Christ is. And in fact, one of my favorite things about this scene, which is another reason we should read it in context, is that when he says, behold, he, he, has, he, he sees um, the heavens opened. Yes. So if you think about how Acts has progressed, we had, we had the ascension, but Jesus just goes up into the clouds. Like we don't, they don't really know, like, mm-hmm. after that. They just see him vanish in the clouds. But now Stephen, in his final moments, will bear witness. He is yes. a witness to the fact of where Jesus is. And we'll talk about this more when we talk about the ascension in future episodes. But the significance of this is that just before this in his speech, he tells them that heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. He tells them yeah. something that he has not yet seen. Mm-hmm. And then moments later, his faith becomes sight. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just gorgeous. It's It's the most beautiful story. And I certainly did not sob uncontrollably the whole time I tried to teach it. (laughs) And not one of those son of a guns brought me a Kleenex. They They were all sobbing too. They just left you up there? Yeah. Yeah. 
And you know what? There's a box of Kleenex under every single one of our seats, but I won't mention it. Well, whatever. They just didn't love you. They what a joy. <laughs> like, seriously, think about yeah. this. One day, all of our faiths will be sight. Yeah. Yes, that's what I love. It. He bears witness to that, yeah. you know, that faith is the substance of things unseen, the mm-hmm. evidence of things hoped for. Yeah, and and the, and the, and the longing to be to become a, the kind of follower of Christ, where because you said purposeful here, mm-hmm. and I think that, that that could very well be true, but it almost seems more like in this kind of moment, what's happening is more instinctual. That like this is somebody who has had Christ's life so formed in mm-hmm. them that in that when the press comes, mm-hmm. that it just that's what comes out. Mm-hmm. That like it like hit the, oh, yeah. the, the words of Christ have become his words. Right. Um, it's like what they used to say. What they, uh, He's identified what, with Christ. What Spurgeon said about Bunyan, which is that, hey, if you cut John Bunyan, he bleeds scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that here, Stephen is bleeding mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. The story has been so yeah. formed into his bones, every mm-hmm. single part of his body, his brain, his blood, his DNA, everything mm-hmm. is this. He realizes that the false stories of the world aren't the true story. Mm-hmm. Right. The true story that everybody else is, is, is denying is the true story. And I'm not just going to tell it. I live in it. Yeah. I think the other thing that blows me away is that the church is not that old. Yeah. He's not a seasoned saint. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Well, because who would have been right. at this point? Yep. Right. No, you're absolutely right. So a martyr. Stephen is a mm-hmm. martyr. He's bearing witness. Mm-hmm. Um, he's giving testimony in, in the speech, but then also in his suffering and death, uh, invoking the words of Christ. When we move from... Uh, Stephen to Simon. Mm-hmm. So if we if you go forward here a little bit, we're going to skip over. Uh, we'll come back to Philip and Saul. But there is a lot that's happening. And uh, in the spread of the early church, they encounter a lot of interesting figures. Yeah. And one of those interesting figures is Simon, who is a practicer of magic. So just to read a little bit of Acts 8 for you, so you can get some context. But there was a man named Simon. This is verse 9 of Acts 8 who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. I love the phrasing there. <laughs> saying that he himself was somebody great. <laughs> mm. Do we know uh, anybody like that? have nothing to doubt. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying this man is, uh, is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip, seeing signs and great miracles performed, and he was amazed. Now, as you go forward, there's going to be these demonstrations of the Holy Spirit, and Simon's going to bear witness to them, namely the laying on of hands and the reception of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. And in verse 18, you hear, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and they're like, no, that's Dude. not how it works. <laughs> you don't understand it. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Uh, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. So Simon is a magic man. He's a magic guy. He's a guy. magic man. <laughs> Man, you, you are. You guys love when I sing. I, I know love you it. love it's it. It's like my favorite part. If yeah. you, if when I, I, if when you, I sing 70s songs in I would in weird not ways. have guessed that you would be so comfortable singing on air. <laughs> but you have really taken to it. And did she do the other one on air? No, no stop it. Okay. Oh, she did. That oh, yeah. never happened. Oh, man. If we could release if We could release. We need like a bloopers. We need like a bloopers. No, don't episode. worry. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. We got a good storehouse of content. Um, so Simon is a magic man. <laughs> 
<laughs> He's a magician. Uh, and uh, it seems like... Now, let me just pause here. Uh, <laughs> let me ask the question that I often get from people. He's like people. David Blaine. But is he... What what were you going to say? Because I because the question that I often get when people ask me or when uh, going through this passage, it's the same thing in a, a Pharaoh's courts in the oh, Exodus right. story. Is there real magic? Is, is he a real magician? Was, was, was is he pulling rabbits out of a hat? I mean, like is he you know making people disappear in boxes? I mean, I mean we don't know what he's doing, but I think he's doing something that is very real for people. Yeah. Like I don't think he's some kind of. I, mean, I was going to say he's not a huckster. I guess he is a huckster. He totally is. But what I'm saying is, is like he's not some kind of like. It's not sleight of hand. Right. Yes. Why do you say that? It totally could be. I guess it could be. What I'm trying to say is, is I think, I think, let me, let me say it this way. I think we live in a demythologized world that assumes anything that appears supernatural must be some kind of a huckster or the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, like it's either real supernaturalism, like the Holy Spirit's doing something mm-hmm. or uh, it's fake. Yeah. And what I'm saying is, is I think there's actually real magic things and spiritual things that are that are real, not just somebody pulling a card out of their sleeve. Yeah, that is meant to deceive people. Yeah, and that's dark. That's right, or evil. That's what that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, mm-hmm. is that what you would say? Yes. Yeah, and I think we also. Read- I think Jen disagrees with us. Do you you disagree? I I don't know if I disagree, but I don't know that this story is showing us someone who was doing legitimate magic. But it but seems- they calls him a magician. Yeah, he practiced magic. I mean, I don't think. See, this is where I feel like <laughs> when we think practice magic, we think David Copperfield. That's what I'm like, saying. He's like, look at this donkey, y'all, and then he puts a blanket over it. And he's like, what? You know, it's not there any longer. No. <laughs> I, I think this is probably a guy who is practicing some sort of divination. Yes. He's doing some. sort Sort of futurism. Yes, yes, he's, yes, yes, yes. he's probably trying to. He's probably performing healings. Certainly, he sees the power of the laying on of hands. He wants that, so that makes me think. Okay, there's some sort of implementation with people that he's probably already involved mm-hmm. in. There could be a lot of similarity to what he sees the apostles doing. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. A healing, yeah. healings, and power. And he's doing it from a different power. You're skeptical. <laughs> I am. Uh, he, I don't care. Like I, I, well, I don't, I don't, I don't actually really care what the answer is because the end result for the clip. for those who are watching him, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. If I'm the just, people perceive it to be supernatural, then I don't really care what it is t- or not. One of my passions is Bible literacy. Oh, I don't know if so, you've heard about so this, but funny. I want to investigate the details of the text. Mm-hmm. When people are like, "I don't care," it's one of those things mm-hmm. that just it, it, no. I mean, <laughs> for, for the purposes of the story, I don't think the story is overly concerned with making that point. You don't think there's I'm a di- you don't think there's a difference between. I think there's a huge difference between leading people astray through actual darkness versus just... Well, she does too. Right. Okay, <laughs> right. So don't miss... Lead people astray through actual darkness? No, no, you think oh. that there's a difference between that and leading them in the genuine power of the yes. Holy Spirit? No, 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 that wasn't no, what I was going to say. Saying, okay. That wasn't what I was like, going to say. He's saying whether you're a charlatan or someone okay. who's yes. really dealing yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess what we're agreeing on is... We don't know. There's no way we can know what mm-hmm. he's doing here. Deception leads to darkness yeah. either way. Yeah. Right. And, and he's can, deceiving and them. Right. It, whether can, people are being fooled or whether there's something <clears throat> demonic going on. It's bad either way. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. People who fool people are probably doing something demonic, <clears throat> whether they're consulting spirits or not. And he must have been persuasive. Because it seems like people are listening. Oh, for sure. People are paying attention to what this guy's doing. People love making magic great again. Can I say that? Okay. (laughs) That was not political. It's just a joke, guys. We've got some clips. (laughs) 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 Well, I tell you what he's doing. He's making Simon great again. There's no doubt about that. He definitely wants people to. So um, uh, why does Simon want this power? 
I mean, why? I mean, so like that he sees them perform this. Do we want to pause here and talk about what's happening? Well, I was going to say, I think that the the question here is not so much about whether he is dealing in the supernatural or not. It's more, it has more to do with once you become a believer, you're still carrying around some baggage. Yes. That's what the point of the story is. That's why I say I don't care. It's not that I don't care. I'm just saying that it's it's keeping the main point in view. Yeah. There's several conversions like that coming up Uh where there's a conversion. Which is reassuring, isn't it? Oh, (laughs) yeah. For you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Because we all have old magic. We don't want to let go of well, once we no. become, I mean, he had this power. He certainly seems to have had a power personality associated with this, mm-hmm. which, you know, once you become a believer that, that, um, uh, I'm using the term charismatic just yeah. to, as a descriptor, not like a, with a spiritual sense, but like that ability to draw people in, mm-hmm. uh, is something that you don't always recognize how to utilize in ways that are God honoring on the other side of a conversion. And I think that's what we're seeing there is he's still thinking, how can I leverage these kinds of things for personal gain because that's been his MO. Yeah, and I always read this passage with a real um, sober-mindedness of how often in ministry environments we try to take the way that we thought power should be executed yeah. or demonstrated prior that's good, to coming yeah. to Christ mm-hmm. into the execution of the offices or duties or responsibilities, privileges of the church mm-hmm. and leadership there, which is, I mean... <clears throat> Let's just make this story. I mean, if I could be maybe a bit crass here, let's make it where it's not Simon's a magician, but he's a CEO. Mm-hmm. Right. And he sees the apostles doing something and he's like, cool, I want to be able to do mm-hmm. that. And I kind of want to be able to do it on the terms I've learned. Mm-hmm. So, that, I mean, like <clears throat> we, we think that this magician to uh, like uh, execution of the power of Christ is like, mm-hmm. wow, that's really strange. But how often do we justify the same sort of approach with things that seem just totally well, because mm-hmm. I think we don't recognize that the the pattern of sin since the garden is one of power brokering. Like everyone is a power broker on the other side of the fall. We're looking for ways to leverage power over and against one another. That's what happens with Adam and Eve. Instead of being collaborators, they p- become competitors. They're trying to leverage power against one another. And so what he's doing here is he's found a way to leverage power. You know, for, for an attractive person, they have the power of physical appearance that they can leverage for advantage. And um, for the person with money, that's a form of power. For the person with um, responsibility or authority, that's a form of power. They're uh, people who are um, extremely... Um, uh, likable have have a have a certain power, and so all of these are ways that you don't have to you don't have to take how Simon is operating and say, oh, he clearly had a problem with magic. Mm-hmm. When we all have a problem with leveraging power, it's good. Yes, he's still searching for control on the other side of of his his salvation. Yep, you're absolutely right. So Simon the magician is. Uh, so we see this martyr Stephen. We see Simon the magician, uh, and then we encounter a missionary. Mm, the story you got there. You got us bit. all the way there. I did. I was definitely going to not let that slide. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, that and I just love the story of Philip. Yeah. Uh, and so with the little bit of time we have left remaining, let's just look at this story. So you have Philip, who is also a deacon, right? Yeah. Was installed uh, or ordained, whatever we want to call it, at the same time uh, with uh, Stephen and the others. And so it says, then an angel of the Lord in Acts 8, verse 26 an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip goes over to him 
And he goes, he sees that he's reading from Isaiah. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage was this passage, like a sheep was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch says to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? And it says, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. It goes on from here for the Philip to uh, to ask, hey, I want to be baptized. Like, look, there's water here. Why not baptize me? And it says, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So this is a pretty incredible story. Such a great story. And so maybe a few questions here uh, with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, is this is this an example of like descriptive or prescriptive in the book of Acts? The, the, the angel of the Lord says, hey, go out to the desert, right? And right. then the spirit of the Lord or uh, the yeah, spirit of the Lord carries Philip away. Right. Like these are some things that do seem extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, a question just, I've always had, I don't have an answer for it, is why didn't, if the spirit is saying these things to Philip, why didn't he just help the Ethiopian eunuch understand Isaiah? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it seems like a long way around, <laughs> you know, yes. but it's not right. Like the, the thing I think that is worth highlighting here is like, here you have the Ethiopian eunuch just kind of like hanging out in his chariot, reading uh-huh. the prophet Isaiah. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? Right. And then you have this background story of like Philip being guided and directed by the spirit to end mm-hmm. up in this chariot and to mm-hmm. eventually depart is God is using the means that he's set up to serve his church. That's right. Yep. Yeah, elders and deacons. He's using the normal means of the mm-hmm. of his church. Yeah, the spirit is in a supernatural way using the people who who he has ordained mm-hmm. to take the good news of Jesus Christ that's forward. Good. Yeah, that's good. What seems like on a superficial reading to be way outside of ordinary yeah. is actually pretty it's, ordinary. It's exactly what we have just heard about in yeah. Acts chapter six, seven, and eight. Like God is setting up His church to proclaim the good news of Jesus, whether it's through Stephen or through Philip. Yeah. Well, and what's, what we're seeing begin to pivot. So what, what have we seen? We've seen that the gospel has gone to the Jews, and then we see that it's not just the Hebrews, it's also the Hellenists. And now what are we seeing here? Some guy is here from Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and we, we're not good with maps, and we lack natural curiosity. But if you Google the distance, this guy has come over 2,500 miles. Mm-hmm. Why? He's making pilgrimage to the temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because he is a eunuch, guess what? He can't go in. Yeah. So he's come all of this distance. And he would have, I assume he would have known that, you know, right. if he knew enough to come this far, but he has still made the journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he is not just a picture of the Gentiles. He's a picture of all who have seen themselves or have been have been characterized as not able to gain access mm-hmm. to the presence of God. Yeah. And yet the spirit it, himself directs Philip to go to this man. It is a tender and gentle story. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I kind of love it. Yeah, me too. This is not related to the story at all, but uh, this story has taken on added significance for me. I, um, over the last five years, had been sharing the gospel with a guy in Richardson uh-huh. where I live who had become a dear friend. And um, we had, uh, I'd invited him to say the Bible with me and make a long story short, um, uh, he had gone to visit his family in Bangkok and then he returned. And when he returned, he, uh, uh a Bible that I had given him years ago mm-hmm. that he had never really been interested in picking up. He was like, hey, I brought that Bible with me to Bangkok and I really don't know why. 
And uh, he was like, but I think I want to read the Bible with you. Can we get together and read the Bible? So we, I meet up, we read the Bible and then, uh, all we, of it. Uh, not all of it. <laughs> we, we, we do some study. In all seriousness, what did you read? Uh, we, uh, yeah, who... I just honestly started Genesis and said, okay, great. So we took two and a half hours together over coffee and just said, let me walk you through the story. That's and awesome. Had a bunch of questions. We'd stop. And, um, and then a week later, uh, he comes, he, we we're going to hang out and he comes over to my house and, uh, we were going to just make coffee and play FIFA on the PlayStation. So that's what we do sometimes. <laughs> um, and, uh, he, he starts talking to me and he's like, I want, I, Kyle, I, I want to follow Jesus. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh boy, we're not playing PlayStation. So like, I, so I turn around to him. You start filling up the bathtub. <laughs> okay, for real. So, so we start talking about, and so we pray together, and he, he, he's like, I'm, I'm talking with him, and I keep, you know, tell him you don't have to be a Christian to be my friend. Like, I want him yeah. to know, like, yeah, I love him regardless. This, like, yeah. mm-hmm. but no, he's like. He's watching Bible Project videos and Ty that I'd sent to him. And like he's oh, read this. So it's cool. been it was incredible to see it happen. But the but to get to this story, um, I always go to this story with a new believer and say like, listen, God sent Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and God sent me to you or mm-hmm. whoever was sent to mm-hmm. you. And like, who's God sending you to, mm-hmm. right? Um, to bring the good news of the gospel. Um, and uh, so we're, we're reading this story. That was kind of the point that I had for it. And at the end, he was like, I was like, all right, well, let's go have lunch and celebrate. He was like aren't you going to baptize me? Like right there in my Dang. living room. And I was like, what? He's like, well, You're like, Oh uh, Phillip, yeah. I mean, I was Phillip like ba- about to do Phillip that. baptized him. And I was like, yeah, I guess he did. Uh, I don't have any water though. And he was like, well, I've got a pool back in my apartment. I was like, I guess we could go there, but we were having our, our celebration Sunday that Sunday. Uh-huh. So within that Sunday, we got to baptize. That's him. And it was so just cool. So cool to see this kind of play out real time yeah. in my life um, with this guy. Uh, and uh, just so cool to see how the, the Lord, um, like what you're talking about, JT, has just used um, it, this story reads on the surface. Like this really crazy story that's super unprecedented and maybe it's not the way it works any longer this and there are some unusual some unique elements here but that general idea of god just sending ordinary people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that are indwelt by the spirit to bring the good news of the gospel in providential ways to other people so that they'll respond in faith it's like that's how god has always been about his well, word and i think it connects to the story of stephen right because what mm-hmm. does stephen say he in reference to the temple he says you think that's where the lord dwells mm-hmm. and the whole message of the book of acts is that god is building his house and it's the church. And so then we see the Ethiopian eunuch who's come to the physical house of God and is, is cannot gain admittance um, because of something that's been done to him, not something he's done to himself. Yeah. But the Spirit of God comes to him in the true temple. Yeah. So if you, that's awesome, Jen. If you kind of back up from chapter eight, because you hear, you have Saul ravaging the church, you've got Philip proclaiming Christ in Samaria, Simon the magician, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You've got three or four stories yeah. here. But one of the main threads and themes begins in verse 1 when you see on that day persecution is arising, which means the church is is kind of in this moment Mm -hmm. of chaos again. Mm -hmm. And what are they doing to bring order? Well, if you look at verse 4, they're preaching the word. It Mm -hmm. says that they proclaimed Christ, that God's word is bringing order out of chaos, Mm -hmm. verse 4. Then you get down to the story of Simon the magician, verse 12. They believed Philip as as he was preaching Mm -hmm. the good news. Mm -hmm. You go to the end of that story and it says that he returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel into many villages into the Samaritans. Then you get to the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says that he told him the good news about Jesus. And after that happens, verse 40, Philip found himself in Azotus. And and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Samaria. Mm -hmm. Seven times in this chapter, 
similar languages used in the midst of this chaotic moment of Saul ravaging the church, not knowing what's going on. They're bringing order out of chaos, not only to the church, but to individuals' lives as they preach the good news about Christ. That's incredible. That's really good. It is. Well, I wish we could have spent more time there, um, but that's a, those are such rich chapters. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to head back into the Apostles' Creed and ask, what will Christ do? See you next time. Grace and peace.